Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Uh, Far too often, we actually... um, can develop a great deal of emotion for things that don't originate from us. Uh, Like the Astros. I had a friend of mine I was sitting with the other day and the Astros uh, had an opportunity to win, um, to make the series 3-3, they did not. Um, So there was sadness that came instead of joy. I wasn't sad. But there are several things in life that can make you hurt or sad or disappointed because life has given you an invitation to be down. There are relationships that we have that we put so much pressure on. uh, And when they let us down, we could be stuck at our last disappointment. There are situations in this world today, whether political or whether uh, ethnic or whatever, that just seem to have the ability to let us down. I believe that there's a powerless feeling that's going around that makes us look at life and just make this phrase come to life. It's just over. We have no hope for the future. We have no hope in this election. We have no hope for our children. We're just waiting to get called up to the sweet by and by because it's over. I don't know what I'm dreaming anymore. I don't know what I'm looking for anymore. And we're embracing anxiety, worry, stress, and depression because life just feels like it's over. I can't tell you the number of people that run up to me and saying, do you think this is the end, Pastor James? Are we in revelations? Is it over? People are resigning themselves to just being in that place where we would self-loathe and and be pitiful and non-active because it doesn't seem like anything matters. When I think about the character we're going to be dealing with today in Nehemiah, I believe that he has found himself in that position where his hopes have been dashed, his life has become a bit of a disappointment, his God seems to be aloof and distant, and he is coming up with the mindset that it is over. As we look at Nehemiah 2, in the first verse, we can see this disappointment all over Nehemiah's life. Let's read it. Here we go. In the month of Nisa, in the 20th year of King Xerxes, when wine was being before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. If you remember, we in chapter one were looking at Nehemiah and Nehemiah got so sad when he heard the news that the city that he loved, the land that he loved, where his fathers were, where the promises of God were, was broken down. He got so sad, he got weak in the knees, he had to sit down, but he began to pray. He began to pray the promises of God, and he still kept doing his job, and we thought that perhaps things were looking up. But sometimes you can pray, Sometimes you can seek God, and somehow you can still end up like Nehemiah, sad. Somehow you can have the right words and be in the right position, and somehow still end up believing that life is over, and taking the solicitation to be disappointed, frustrated, 
and upset because the things you were hoping for in life seemed just too distant, sad. When I look at the human condition, I see so many people who just look sad. I can't find anybody who would give me a happy narrative about society right now. I just want to sum us all up as feeling a little bit sad. Every time that I, I just ask, like, how do you feel about what's going on in life? I never get, man, I'm telling you, things are looking up. God is on the move. I think this is going to be the best year we ever had. No, everybody's a little bit sad. And, 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 and when you're sad long enough, a defeated spirit comes on you because you believe it's over. The Bible says hope deferred. Make your heart sick. This is the condition that he's in. I've humbled myself, I've prayed, I've confessed my sins, the people's sins, I've, I've, I've looked toward Jerusalem, I, I've been the person who remembers 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people call by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land, but you've done nothing, God, and if you're not going to do anything, I'm already powerless in my position, the only thing I can do is be sad. Verse 2, and the king said to me, why is your face sad? seeing you not sick. Some people know how to call you out. You know, sometimes we don't, it's not what we say, but it's how we look. 70% of communication is nonverbal. And he's sending that message, like my children sometimes can send to me, that they're sad, disappointed. They're still communicating something of displeasure even if their words are not coming out of their mouth. Say, but you're not sick. What's wrong? You see, I want you to know that Nehemiah at this point has a good life. I want you to understand that there's no trouble in his life. He's got it all right. Even though he's a part of an exiled person, he's in a place of uh, privilege, he's in a position of privilege, um, he should be happy with his lot in life, but something that's going on with the Astros, something that's going on with another team, another person, something else that's going on in society has gotten his attention, broken his individual ability to be happy, and now he's at his job letting his personal life leak into his regular life. Do you let your personal life sometimes leak into your regular life? It comes out in your posts. It comes out in your texts. It comes out in your communications. It comes out that, that you're not satisfied with what's going on in the world, and you should be politically correct and keep it to yourself, but you can't. This is where Nehemiah is. I should be quiet because I'm talking too much, and I'm being noticed by the king, and he said, the king said, this is nothing but sadness of heart. Oh, I, I like this part. Don't you like it when somebody sees what's wrong with you, but they can put a name to it? Oh, you, you're going through. She left you. You lost your, oh, I see it. We want somebody to see us. Can you see other people? Can you see the pain that's around you? Or can you see pain that's around you and ignore it? I've got some friends in the room that they can see my pain from a distance. They can perceive I might be in pain, and they ask me the question, how are you doing? Are you all right? What if our society were to become more godly and probe and find out how are you doing today? So here is a godless king, a person who doesn't serve the God of Isaac, Jacob. He, he doesn't serve the God of Abraham, but yet he's able to inquire, 
you know, what's going on? He's got some discernment. And then he says, I was very afraid. I, 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 I pondered this, why he would be afraid, because sometimes the very person that has caused you pain is the person you've got to communicate your pain to. You know, this is just not an ordinary person. This is a person who's probably partly responsible for the problems in Israel, He's responsible for my hurt and pain. He's the person who probably received the letters from the other people in, in Israel when Ezra and, and Zerubbabel were trying to build before. They sent letters to stop them from building. Um, he, he's having to face the very person, the very position that's causing him pain. He, he, he could have walked away a long time ago, but, but he's now, he's there, he's sad, and he knows that he's not supposed to be sad in the presence of the king, but he is sad in the presence of the king, and he can't hide it any, any longer, and he's afraid because he doesn't know if this was going to cost him his job, cost him his privilege, or cost him his life. This is not a man who's afraid to kill people. He killed his daddy, he killed his brother, and yet, you, yet now, now look at it, it's going left. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. See, that's what you got to do. You got to know how to reverse the narrative real quick when it's going wrong. You got to know how to, you know, you, you, you have to know to change the, change the subject. King, I want you to know I ain't mad at you. I want you to live forever, though you tore my land up. I'm going to bless you even though you curse me. I'm going to show you some love and deference and kindness even though I've not gotten that from you. Are you able to do that today, beloved church? of the Lord Jesus Christ, are you able to show love when somebody in authority or power of some sort has not shown you the kindness that you would like to receive? And he says, King, live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lie in ruins and the, and the gates have been destroyed? Why are you asking me a question like this? You know your responsibility for the pain that I have. You know the trouble I've been going through. You know, Nehemiah had been praying for this for four months. He, he, he'd been crying in, in a condition of sadness and lack of resolve for four months. He could not hold back his pain any longer. But his pain is prompting him to have a response that cannot be hidden. Maybe sometimes the delays that God give you aren't to hurt you, but to get you stirred up on the inside so that you will start activating your voice and activating your gift. He's not trying to get Nehemiah to back down by his silence. He's trying to get Nehemiah to step up because, because it's no time to be silent. He's waiting on the right moment for the king who was seeing him every day to notice that something's not right in this life. Something's not right with the people of Judah. And so here it is. He started, he's telling them, all the stuff is destroyed. And the king said to me, what are you requesting? Remember I told you in the, in the other message that when you get to the position where uh, when you accept the reality that God's put you in a position to save the city, love the city, affect change, there's coming a moment in each of your lives like Nehemiah's having, even though you feel like it's on delay. 
I know you've been interceding and standing in the gap like Moses did, like Nehemiah did, like God asked people to do. I know you've been asking for change in the nation and change in the city and change in the world. And I know you think it's at a delay, but if you just hold on to the promise, if you hold on to prayer, if you hold on to the king, if you hold on to the position he gave you, if you don't lose heart and give up, cave in and quit, if you don't let down, I got some good news for you. One day, the person in power that actually was a part of taking power away from you will look to you and say, what you want me to do now? Now, if you hadn't spent enough time with God, instead of receiving this jovial moment, you could say, well, let me tell you something. But your tired self. You want to know what's going on, King? Let me tell you, you've been treating our people bad. That's what you'll do. You won't, you won't have a wise response, but let me show you his response. This, this is what I hope I would do. And I said, and the king said to me, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. What do you do when you're finally at that moment when you were thinking it was over, and now someone's giving you the clue that it's not over, and you were unprepared for the moment because you were sad in the presence of the king instead of ready in the presence of the king? What you do is not get in your flesh, but you retreat into the presence of God. You retreat into the place of communion and communication with God. You retreat to the word and the promise of God. You retreat to the plan you got from God when you were four months praying with nothing happening. There was never a waste of time. You are prepared for this, and God will clue you in in a moment. Wait, 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 wait. I'm before him right now. And then, and he said to the king, If it pleases the king, now he's talking like a man full of wisdom. He don't have that sad face right now. This guy is talking the right stuff. He said, he said, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor, let me tell you, king, I know that you're kind of talking to me like we're we're personal buddies, but I want to make sure you know there's a distinction between me and you. I'm not going to take uh, the position that because there's been infractions against me, I get the opportunity to rage against you. I get the opportunity to be salacious towards you. You've been hurting me for a hundred years. It's been a hundred years they've been going through this pain. Some of you might be feeling it's been 400 years we've been going through this pain, but it doesn't give you the right to start getting rude. It doesn't give you the right to start getting mean. It doesn't give you the right to start getting brazen. It doesn't give you the right to start walking up there making demands. It gives you the right to do what Nehemiah did, which was to appeal to God so he can have the right response to the king. So, and he said to the king, if it pleases you, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah didn't start saying, here's what you need to do, governor. Here's what you need to do, king. Here's what they need to do. He started with, here's what I need to do. And I got this plan from God. I I need to be sent to the place of pain. I need to be sent to the place that's broken down. I'm not demanding anything from you, but I'm asking for you to allow me to do what no one else seems to be willing to do. Oh, his disposition is humble. 
He said, I'm going to the graves of my father to rebuild it. Notice that he's still not using the words that could be inflammatory because Judah and Jerusalem were considered a a, a people who were revolted. The king had already received a letter before when he stopped the building of the wall that these people, if you check the records, are are, are rebellious. They, 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 um, they revolt. You see, there's always a negative narrative waiting on you. But you know what Trump, don't, Bible said, don't be overcome with evil, overcome evil with good. Because Nehemiah stayed in godly character. Because he did not depart from his godly assignment. The favor of God rested upon him. And the king said, uh, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? He's like, I'm in agreement with you. I'm in partnership with you. I, I, I like how you're thinking. I like how you're talking. Because the last letter that the king wrote was, no wall could be built, no temple could be rebuilt anymore except by my word. Now he is changing in a moment's notice a generational narrative that could keep the walls of a people down, but an ungodly king is seen. What if I told you that God sees you as well? God can see what you're going through, and God can see what you need, and no matter how long you've been going through it, he can give you the word you need to start doing what you need to do to see change. Yes. Yes. Come on. So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And, he, and I said, king, if it pleases uh, the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass until I come to Judah. And let letters for Ashra, the keeper of the king's forest, uh, that I may give timber to, uh, for beams of the gates and the fortress and the temple and for the walls of the city and for the house and all, of all who occupy. And let the king grant me what I ask for the good hand of the Lord was upon me. In other words, uh, Nehemiah said, I'm going to get why the getting's good. He said, look like God is with me. God is for me. He's opened up the door. I'm not asking the king just to let me go. I'm asking him to let me go with a word that he's in agreement with me. The, a letter stopped the work. I want a letter to continue to work. So, see, so see, I like how Ezra was going. Ezra had gone there before him in Zerubbabel, and they were building the spiritual lives back in the temple back in the thing. But he is, he is building a, a, another strategic narrative uh, of, of a governing structure. He is, he is taking the governing structure, and he is using that to rebuild what, what was torn down. The reason I think this is important to bring up, because not all of you have a ministry position in the, in, in the, sac, in, in the sense of full-time ministry, but you do have occupations that can, that can be used to affect systems change in this world. So don't think that you're counted out because Nehemiah was just a cupbearer, but he was in a position of secular authority. What if he would have given up that position? What if he would have got tired of, of doing his God assignment? Then he wouldn't have been in position to make the change when time came. He didn't look at the needs of Israel the same way that Ezra did, which were deeply spiritual, building the temple. He looked at what they needed physically in the systems and the letters to reverse the words that had previously been given They said it's unlawful to do this. So you have some Christians who work hard to change the laws and some that say, let's just pray. Be careful not to say that Ezra's way is better than Nehemiah's way or Nehemiah's way is better than Ezra's way. Everybody has their part to play. He went from thinking it was over to noticing. What is, let's just, no, 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 watch this. 
He, thought, he went from thinking this over. Now the king sent me. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Verse 8. He went from seeing that it was over. He said, Lord, I ask that the good hand of the Lord be upon me. You know what I got to say? You may have thought it was over. But it ain't over unless God says it's over. And if the favor of God is on you, how can it be over? How can it be over? So yes, the disappointment of the past, the disappointment of society, the disappointment of loss can make you feel like it's over. But when you recognize there's a word for God for you, a word for your city, and that the favor and hand of God of you is still on you to do work, to rebuild, then it ain't over because God didn't say it was over. And I want to announce to you, it's not over for you. Your effectiveness is not over. Your ministry is not over. Your life is not over. Your marriage is not over. Your time is not over. It ain't over because God has not said that it is over. And the favor of God is still on you. The favor of God can raise you up even now. Now, now watch verse 9. Nehemiah is on a roll. His name means the, the comfort of Yahweh. He... It's something about people who receive something from God who are now in a great position to give out. And it's difficult for you if you don't receive to give. Watch this, verse 9 said, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the letters. Now the king has sent some officers of the army with his horsemen. Two things I want you to see here. It wasn't enough for Nehemiah just to have a plan or talk to the king. He, he went without delay. A lot of times we get places of privilege and prominence from the Lord because of his favor. And we take our privilege and we enjoy our own individual lives. He could have made an opportunity to delay. Remember, he's in exile. He wasn't somebody who was uh, having all his dreams in life. How many people are we leaving out if we don't go? It's not enough to be talking about it. You have to be about it. Nehemiah did something. Maybe you're sitting here today and trying to figure out how you need to relate to Nehemiah. Maybe God is calling you like he called Nehemiah after all this delay. Maybe it's time for you to take your privilege and your resources and be sent. And, and, he, and he was sent and he went to the governors and, and he went. And I'm going to tell you, when you go, it's just like when the, uh, when the Israelites left Egypt. He didn't go empty-handed. He, he didn't even ask for the king to send horsemen and an army. The king is invested. And if the king of a pagan and secular nation could be invested in the kingdom of God, how about the people of God? How invested do we need to be? I mean, I don't want the pagan king to outdo me. What am I doing with my privileges? And don't be confused with the word, word privilege, because sometimes I think we think that's limited to one ethnic group. You an American. American. Maybe you have not traveled internationally much. You are privileged if you live here. That doesn't say it's a whole lot of other stuff we need to deal with. I'm just telling you, what are you doing? Remember, this is not looking at what others are doing. What are you going to do? Verse 10. And I want you to know something. And um, Sam Ballard and the, the, the Hornite and, and uh, Tobiah, the Ammonite, the servant heard this. And it displeased them greatly because someone had came to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Let me tell you something. Here it is that 
when it's not over for him as an individual, because God didn't say it's over, he now is having to go to a place and interact with a people who are not ready to be delivered. And in fact, there's opposition. Not everybody's going to like what you do as a believer because God gives you a God idea and you want everybody to sing Kumbaya, y'all wave their hands and get on the flag and be happy and get on and start doing everything that you're doing. No, it's, it's going to be harder than that. You're going to have some people in the body. These, these were not people. These were other Jewish people, other people who were connected to the, the priesthood, other people with authority, other, other people who would benefit from what Nehemiah was doing, but they weren't in agreement with him. And just because there are other believers who are not in agreement with you doesn't mean that you still don't have a responsibility to serve them. All right, I'm going to keep going. So I, went, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. And he rose in the night and a few uh, uh, in and a few men with him, and he told no one what my God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one I rode on. I'm, I'm going to just give you a little, little bit of this section. Basically, Nehemiah gets there, and he needs to go see what broke his heart for himself. Sometimes it's difficult to really actualize the work that God is assigning you to do until you touch the pain of the people in the way that they are experiencing it. He went from gate to gate, and he went from place to place until he saw the excrement built up, he saw trash, and he saw the burnt city, and he made a complete circle, and he inspected the wall. And, 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 and when the Scripture says, when he inspected, inspected the wall, which means to, to actually investigate it, to look at it like a physician would look in uh, probing to find out what's wrong. I know that we're talking about a wall, but what if I told you that God is sending people to help you probe your life for the broken areas, for the brokenheartedness, for the trash that's heaped up, the, the, the things that are in the way preventing you from living the life that God intended for you to live. And you're so, you have so many broken down walls, so many broken down things, you don't know which way is up. And, and, and he had to see that and feel that in order to speak to that. In verse 16 says, and, um, and, all, and the officials did not know where he had gone or what he was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, or the nobles, or the officials, or the rest who, who were to do the work. Now watch this. Y'all see that? Now I knew when I left uh, Persia, I, I, I knew that I had the letters from the king, I had the timber, and he sent an escort but I didn't bring no workers. <laughs> I, I didn't bring nobody to actually build the wall. <laughs> I just said I'll figure that out when I get there. See, whatever you do for God's going to take faith. And I know that you and I would love to know the whole plan of God before you move out and you execute it, but you're not going to get the whole thing. You know in part and you prophesy in part. If you're not going to be faithful, Nehemiah, with the first part of the word you had, then you're not going to get the next part. You know what? You don't, you don't know what journey he's sent, fully sending you on, but you know if you just be patient and trust God, you know that he's going to work it out. So when he saw what was going on, he waited three days. This is the wisdom. If he would have gotten there and started saying, all right, we're going to rebuild. You didn't think the people saw him coming in with all the timber and all that stuff, wondering what was going on. He used some wisdom. Don't go spouting off at the mouth. 
Go where you can talk to the people with empathy. Go where you can say, I saw, I saw what you was going through. I, I've been overwhelmed. This is a guy who was crying in chapter 1, who was so weak that his, it showed on his face there. He, he's getting there, and he's not just doing business. He's not running a social program. He's not doing something out of duty and obligation. He is investing his heart. Can you invest your heart, or you just want, you just want something to be done? Sometimes we just, want, we just want stuff our way. Well, our heart's not in it. You don't care. Verse 18. And I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good, and also of the word of the Lord he has spoken to me. When you go to people who think it's over, who think there's no hope, you have to deliver to them the very thing that God delivered to you was that the grace and hand and favor is on me and God wants to give it to you. And guess what? He gives them the same word that God gave him and they said, let us rise up and build. We don't want you to build. Now we want to do it because when we received the word, we did it. When is the last time the prophetic word from God came out of your mouth to your city? or to your nation? Or have you been watching CNN and Fox News and the news channels getting more and more depressed saying it's just over? It's just all over. I can't even take it. I'm thinking about moving to another nation. (laughs) You know, he told them the same word. He didn't come up with new words. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. That means they begin to meditate on the Word. They begin to meditate on His story. They begin to meditate on how good God is. They begin to remember what He said to Moses, remember what He said in Chronicles. They begin to remember the story of their deliverance and deliver. It started clicking on the inside of them, and they were thinking, oh, wait a minute. We're a part of history. We knew we had to be exiled. We knew the Babylonians would come. We knew that He was going to return us. We knew that He was going to reveal. Oh, it's starting to click. They begin to strengthen their hands. Because it's going to take a word from God for you to stay doing the work in the city. If you're going to love this city, you're going to have to keep hearing James though over and over and over and over again. Go walk your city. Go claim every place in your city. Go pray in your city. Go speak to your governor. Go speak to your mayor. Go speak to your police chief. Tell them what thus saith the Lord. I, I, I remember taking some pastors in the city, just going to meet with the police chief because God said to meet with them. And what came out of our mouth was, did we say, have you ever looked, have you ever heard the scripture, Romans 13? He didn't. We started reading it to him, started praying for him. He asked for prayer. Then he said, can I come to this church? He invited himself. So when you see him, doesn't say, I invited He invited himself. We're going to have him here. You see, when you give the word of God, somebody's going to give you an agreement. And then verse 9, the last two verses here. But then Samballot the Hornite and, the, and Tobiah the Ammonite, servants of Gershon and Arab, heard of it. And they jeered, jeered at us. They despised us. What is this thing that you're doing? You're rebelling against the king. In other words, there's always going to be somebody who thinks that the people of God are going too far. They jeered at them. You know, it was people mad because some of the saints had a big event downtown and they didn't wear, wear masks and 
People, are mad. People can be mad at us. You just can't say nothing negative about it. It's not brother against brother and sister against sister. We stand together and finally, verse 20, and they replied to him, the God of heaven will make us prosper. I want you to hear this, Bethel. The God of heaven, hear this online, the God of heaven will make you prosper. The God of heaven will make you prosper and his servants will arise and build. The nation is not in this worst condition. We're here. The na- Y'all didn't give me a strong enough amen. The nation is not in its worst condition because we're here. Like Nehemiah was near the king doing his job, doing his assignment, having a word, preparing himself. Because he didn't believe it was over, because God didn't say it was over, he could get to work. He can get started. He can join God and he can arise and he can begin to build back what was torn down by the enemy. It's time for you and me to rise up. It's time for you and me to get up. It's time for us to see the problem and act on the problem. It's time for us to get a word from God and then speak that word to others until we mobilize the truth. It's time for us to start believing that God has a plan and a purpose and a future and a destiny for all of us. It's not time to pew sit. It's not time to just watch the world go down and go to hell in a handbasket. It's time to rise up and say, I love this city. I've got hope again for the city. I got hope for my nation. I got joy in my God. I got the favor of God on my hand and no matter how low I've been in the past, God himself gonna raise me up. God himself is going to pull me up. God's going to push back the hand of the enemy and all the negative words and give me the resources I need to build this city. If you agree with that, stand on your feet and give him praise and glory. 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 As we come to this moment, as we come to this moment, you know, a lot of people probably feel like Nehemiah, but you're still stuck in Nehemiah chapter one. When Nehemiah just began to hear what was going on in his hometown, it made him look inward. It made him realize, I've got sin in my life. This nation has sinned. And all he wanted to do is get his individual life right with God first. He didn't deal with his assignment or what everybody should do or what he could do. He started with himself. Maybe some of you need to hear the love of Jesus again. And today you need to come to Jesus. For others of you, you've been living life believing that it's all over. You actually don't care about tomorrow. You'd be happiest if God came back or took you today. Life has lost meaning, and instead of imparting meaning to the next generation, you impart apathy and fear and anxiety and anger and frustration. And today, Jesus is rescuing you from that perspective because it's not over. And the good hand of God and his favor is upon you, but you need to have a moment where you're delivered from that mindset. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to come. And finally, 
if you're here today and life has broken you. You actually just don't know how to get out of that brokenness. We want to pray and, and minister to you. Grace, mercy, by your hands. Grace, I can't live without your grace. grace. 